0: This summer, I sat on a seawall at Bar Harbor, Maine, with Carla, and we were looking at the bay there, the harbor there, where the boats were, and I noticed one particular small boat that was uh, tied off and was in the process of tying off to the cleats on the fixed pier. This is the boat we were looking at that day and if you were able to get a little bit closer to that dock you would be able to see the metal cleats that are mounted there on that wooden dock for those ropes to be attached to and they'd taken a rope from the front of the boat and looped it around the cleat in the front and in the back of the boat they'd taken another rope and attached it to the cleat there. And the owner of that boat would soon walk away. Over the next 12 to 18 hours in that harbor, the water would, would, would rise and the water would fall. The tide would come in and the tide would go out. And the expectation of that boat owner was that when he arrived the next morning, that boat would still be fixed there in the harbor because he had tied it to those cleats that were fixed into the soil of that bay. I want to ask you a question today. What are you tied to? What is your life tied to? It doesn't take a long time in this room for us to think of things that illustrate to us that our lives in these days are up and down and back and forth. And like the rise and fall of that boat, like the coming in and going out of the tide, uh, we can feel like that ship and we try to ride it out, we try to exist, we try to have some tenacity about the things that come our way and we come to the end of Ephesians chapter 3 What we recognize here is that the Apostle Paul wanted the believers that he was writing to to be tied to truth, to be cleated to truth that would not give way in the changing environment around them. And I want us today to look at this passage of Scripture and find here five truths that we can cleat our life to when everything's up and down and back and forth. In Ephesians chapter 3, you have this letter from the Apostle Paul, and I don't want you to miss the fact that he deeply cared for these believers. There was a theological connection there was a gospel connection. There was a fellowship connection because he had taken the news of Jesus Christ to them. He had spent time with them. He had suffered with them. And he had suffered in the process of getting that good news to them. They had a lot, they had a lot of skin in the game, you could say. We know that it was not just a theological connection, but there was an emotional connection here because in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul had called the elders of the church at Ephesus and believers to meet him on the shores of Miletus. And they came and they met him and they listened to the Apostle Paul tell them about his testimony, about his witness and how he had lived with them, life that he had given to them. He talked about the things that they had suffered together. And he told them that he was departing. And in Acts 20, it ends with a scene of those believers from Ephesus weeping together. And they were weeping, it says, primarily over the words that he said that he thought that he would never see them again. And in that attachment to those believers and that care for them, here we do have this letter written to believers in Ephesus and the surrounding region, he wanted them to go the distance. He wanted them to not lose heart. He had taken three chapters. It's very distinct in Ephesians. The first three chapters, layer upon layer of truth, of theology, of explaining the blessings that we have when we believe in Christ. Talking about who we were before Jesus Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ, and the incredible cost that was paid in order for us to be in Jesus Christ. He talked about boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. He talked about going from death to life. He talked about our sins being born and paid for completely by Jesus. It was theological truth. But now, when he is bringing the this layer upon layer of theology he's about to transition to how you walk that out in everyday life in fact when you come to chapter 4 in the first verse it's like walk in this manner because of all of this walk in this manner but verse 13 just prior to what we read here this morning he says i ask you not to lose heart i ask you not to lose heart And he's asking them not to lose heart because of the truth. You you have this truth that I've given to you to hold on to. And he says, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. When you see my life and you see the hard stuff I'm going through because of the gospel, when you see the hard things of life, don't lose heart. And how can we do that? What can we tie to that allows us to have the tenacity To go the distance. I want to summarize today's message with this phrase. I hope you can remember as you walk away today, and it's this Our tenacity is ultimately tied to His capacity. Our tenacity is ultimately tied to His capacity. God's ability, God's capacity. To work in our life and through our life and hold on to us when everything's up and down and back and forth. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying that Father. The one. The one who names it all. The one who is over all. what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It feels like the end of the letter, but it's really just the end of the section that deals so much with truth. Three chapters of him telling us who we were, who we are, and what it costs to get us from where we were to where we are. His, theologic, his theology erupts in doxology. And that's where it ought to lead every time for us when we celebrate who God is and what God has done and what he's up to and what he's going to do in the future, it leads to praise from our heart, an overflow of just gratitude and thanksgiving for the kind of God that he is and that he would do what he does. Well, as he gives this doxology, we find things here to hold on to, to cleat to, if you will. Let me give you five of these. Number one, Complete your life in the ups and downs to number one, the prayers of others. The prayers of others. Now this first lesson for us, this first truth for us reminds us that for us to go the distance, we're we're not to go it alone. We're not long-ranger Christians. We're to go with others. And for us to find the capacity of God, we need the care and the compassion and concern of others that shows itself in praying for one another. The Apostle Paul, after all of these just layers of, of truth, it comes, becomes so practical for him. In verse 14, listen to these caring words. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From every every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches he may grant you. He begins to pray for them. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The standard way of praying for the Jewish people would have been standing. But occasionally through the New Testament, you see moments... Where there's an indication of bowing in prayer Of kneeling in prayer And here he doesn't say I bend a knee He says I bow my knees He gets on his knees before the father And, and, he, and he's going there for them Listen, other than the gospel Other than the gospel itself The greatest gift the apostle Paul Was giving to the believers at Ephesus Were his prayers He gave them the gospel. He gave them the good news. He gave them the hope of eternity. He gave them the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. Next to that, the greatest gift he was given to them were his prayers. I'm on my knees for you. He knew that he couldn't get to them physically, but he could get to their hearts spiritually because there was no limit to God's prayers and where they could reach. Today, when we think about cleating our life to something that will help us to have tenacity in the ups and downs of life, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to see the importance of us being in a fellowship and being in relationships that involve praying for one another. It's, it's a critical piece of a fellowship like this. It's why we come together. To be able to know one another and know what's going on in the lives of one another. It's why you, you get in a class or a small group. It's why you take time to get to know somebody and really listen to what's going on to them. So that you can become that interceder for them and be able to go to your knees before the Father on their behalf. I need the prayers of others. Listen, you need the prayers of others. You need your name called out specifically by someone with specific request for you. This is what the Apostle Paul did. He prayed a specific prayer in a specific position for a specific people asking for a specific power. With a specific purpose to be applied to a specific place. And you just witnessed a miracle with me saying the word specific about a dozen times. I won't be able to get it out now the rest of the message. He prayed a specific prayer. We have the words here to his prayer. We get, you know how you get specific answers to your prayers, you present, you take specific prayers to the Lord, general prayers, oh Lord bless us, like pray specific prayers. Paul's specific prayer was for a specific people in a specific position. He, he humbled himself in a physical way to Say to the Lord, I'm submitting to you and I'm coming humbly before you for these people. Asking for Holy Spirit power. Asking for strength for them. Specific place in their inner man, inner being. He says, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is a reference to their core deep down where they live, where they believe, where they feel, where they can become discouraged and lose heart. And he's praying that in that place, Lord, meet people and strengthen them there. We need people calling our name out before the Lord to be strengthened there. Two questions. Who do you have in your life committed to going to their knees for you? Maybe with with kind of a, uh, rejoicing you think in your heart, I know some people that are praying for me. Thank you Lord. But you may say today, pastor, I don't know who would be praying for me specifically today, but I know I need it. I want to exhort you to pursue those people. Men in this room find a man, find some men that would know your name and call your name and be willing to go on their knees before the Father for you by name. So I'm a little uncomfortable with that weakness. That's exactly the place God wants to get you. He wants to get you to a point to where you're admitting to some other brothers, ladies, some other sisters, I need you praying for me. Second question, who are you giving your life to in prayer? Whose names do you have? Who are you going to bat for? Who are you going to war with? Who are you on your knees for? God has given you the gospel. Now he wants you to be able to give strength and life to others from him through your prayers. Maybe God would lay on your heart today the names of some people or the name of a person that you would take on that mantle from today and say, that's going to be the name. That's going to be the names. I'm in there. I'm taking them to the Lord. I'd encourage you to let them know. There's certainly power in prayer, but there's also power and encouragement knowing that others are praying for you. And that's modeled for us in Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote it, it's been preserved for eternity, that he was praying for them. Several months ago, I called you to participate, it's it's been quite a while now, I called you to participate in something that we identified as Gideon's guard. Gideon's guard was a call to say, are there some people in the room that would pick a Friday each month? if you'd pick a friday each month the, the first second third or fourth friday just pick one friday of each month so it would be 12 times over the course of a year and that friday you would be on Gideon's guard you would go to the lord on that day praying for others and fasting for others pick a friday we we talked about it for a little while we 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 let it rest it's 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 gone away it's kind of faded into the history of the life of our church. Except I know this, that one time every month, I get a text from a man in our church. It happened this past Friday. He said, hey pastor, I'm at my post. I'm at my post. Every Monday, every single Monday. My phone buzzes before the sun comes up. Hey, friend, have a blessed week. Make it a great Monday. Praying for you. I mentioned these to you simply to say to you that I'm convinced that any tenacity that I have in my life in these days and the ups and downs and back and forth certainly can be traced back to some people that are faithfully calling my name out before the Lord and people sitting beside you, people sitting around you, people that you live with, people that you work with, people that you are on teams with, give them the greatest gift this side of the gospel, make their names a part of your prayer life. Number two, cleat your life to the prayers of others. Number two, cleat your life to the bank of his glory. The bank of his glory, B-A-N-K, the bank of his glory. He says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. When we talk about God's glory, we're talking about all of his attributes, all of his characteristics that come together in one glorious story of his glory. And when we talk about God's glory, that's the light of God that shines forth because he's holy, and he's omnipotent, and he's powerful, and he's faithful, and he's patient, and he's kind, and he's a God of love, he's a creating God. All of those attributes of God, they come together in his glory. And the Apostle Paul refers to them that according to the riches of his glory, all of of that that makes up his glory, he pulls out one piece of currency from the riches of his glory and he prays for God's strength in their life. He says you need the strength according to the riches of his glory, according to all that he has. How strong is God? How rich is he in strength? He's so rich in strength that he can speak to a dead man and raise him back to life. He's so rich in strength that he can speak to nothingness and say, let there be light. He's so rich in strength that he can speak to one dead in their sins and make them alive in Jesus Christ. That's how strong he is. He's rich in glory. He's specifically rich in strength. We bank on his glory. Our daughter Maddie was married about three weeks ago. Maddie Sibley became Maddie Baker. But what if I told you today that I've been holding out on you? That Maddie Sibley didn't actually become Maddie Baker I wanted to share with you this morning that Maddie Sibley became Maddie Bezos. Y'all loosen up a little bit in the room, okay? (laughs) Bezos? Are you kidding me? Like, as in Jeff? As in Amazon? Yeah? And what are you thinking right now? Girl... you rich. I wonder if that will trickle down to our church. Woo! It ain't true. She's a baker. I said, hey, Brett, she got $23 in her account and no school debt. Here she is. You take care of her. Think about this. Do you know that because of Jesus Christ, you are marrying in to the one who owns it all, the richest of his glory? And today, if you're looking for a place to cleat your life, bank on his glory. Bank on who he is. Number four. Number three. Number three. Cleat your life to the soil of his love. S-O-I-L. The soil of his love. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, May have strength to comprehend with all the saints that you, I'm going to pause here, that you being rooted and grounded in love, tie your life today, tie your inner being today to the soil of his love, S-O-I-L, the soil of his love. He, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. When I see those words rooted and grounded, I think... when. Those, those ag terms are my native tongue. And I, I'm looking, I see that word rooted. Do you know many a Saturdays as a kid, I sat on an upside down five-gallon bucket with a bucket in front of me full of water and stems that had been cut off of crepe myrtles and red-tipped fotinias. And with a radio playing a ball game, I'd reach into that bucket and pull out those limbs and cut them off about six inches long, strip all the leaves off the branches, put a point on the tip, clip the top of the leaves, dip it in something we called a rooting hormone, and then move it over and stick it into some soil and apply mist for several days. And here's what would happen. When nobody was around, I'd walk by those plants and I'd, I'd grab one and I'd pull it out. Nothing there. What do we do? Put it back in. We'd go by, go by a few days, I'd pull it out and look. Huh. I wasted another Saturday put it back in there I come back in a few days and I pull it out and on the end of that stem would be this swollen knot put it back in it's interesting come back in a few days I pull it out and little white hair sticking out of that knot put it back in I come back in a few days and I couldn't even pull it out of the soil what had happened that little stem had become rooted and grounded in that soil When that plant was rooted in that soil, it had found its life in that soil. And as it grew deeper and deeper and deeper, it had found its stability in that soil. And here the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, I want you not to lose heart. I want you to be rooted. I want you to find your life in his love and grounded. I want you to find your stability in his love. I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. And those, there, were, there were days where that, that plant, that little stem, you could thump it and it'd just fall over. You'd come by later, you'd thump it, it'd just bend and it'd straighten back up. You'd come by and thump it and it wouldn't move. And what had happened over time, it had become more and more and more rooted in that soil. And then as we grow in the knowledge of who God is and how he loves us day by day by day, what happens is we sink our roots of faith down in how much he loves us and we're not moved by the ups and downs and the back and forths of life. This week, someone sent me a text and they asked, Hey, how is Miss Jean doing? Miss Jean is in her 90s. She lives alone. She's not able to attend church here with us. But Many keep a check on her and they ask how's miss jean and i'd seen miss jean a couple of weeks back and and just immediately i just sent back kind of this summary understanding of miss jean in her 90s living alone i said i saw her a couple of weeks ago miss jean is and i just what came to my mind was steady calm and ready to meet jesus That's just what just popped out as a summary of her life. The person on the other end of the text sent back a single emoji. Can you guess what it was? <laughs> it was that arm that, like Papa's arm, just that single emoji. What were they saying? Strong. That woman is strong. Because for 90 plus years, she's been rooted and grounded in God's love. And nearing the end, she's calm, steady, and ready to meet Jesus. Anchor your life. Cleat your life to the soul of his love. Number four, tie your life to the comprehension of his love. There's a paradox here. He says in verse 18 that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. He puts metrics on God's love and he says measure it. You may have strength to comprehend the the breadth, the length, the height, and depth and to know the love of Christ. That, and here's the paradox, surpasses knowledge. He's praying that they would know something about God's love, how wide and deep and long, high. He would know something, comprehend something about his love. But just know this, it surpasses your comprehension. As I wrestled through this over the last couple of weeks. Here's what just came to terms with this, that part of, part of comprehending God's love is coming to a place of understanding that you'll never be able to comprehend his love but in life you just keep pursuing it we think his love runs out you think God's given up on you you think God doesn't love you anymore you think you've done so much wrong that he can't or you've experienced so much hard he must not but God says you can never as a believer you can never be separated from my love he wants you to comprehend that it's incomprehensible and the byproduct of that is the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There were those seasons in your life where you would say, I'm just, I'm just so full of God right now, or she's so full of God right now. And I guarantee you what's going on is that, that you've found some sweet spot of learning a little something about God's love for you. Number five, in the last one, tie your life to, cleat your life to, number five, the side, S-I-D-E, the side of the stage. Their center stage and their side stage. And the last thing I'd call you here based on this passage of God's word is to cleat your life to the side of the stage. He says, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him, say it with me, to who? Him. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He said, let every generation that goes beyond us, church at Ephesus, right down into Watkinsville and every generation beyond us, Let them see that Jesus Christ came for the purpose of bringing the Father glory and the church exists today not for our glory and our fame but for His name and His fame. He says let the glory go to Him. In other words, put Christ center stage. Put God center stage. Let our life be tied to all the glory, all the credit, all the affirmation. Let it be tied to Christ let it be tied to the Father it would be so beautiful a lot of you are college students in this room 20 years from now you were saying I went to church while I was in college Some I cannot remember the name of that church but I know this I met God there I found Jesus there the word of God was preached there don't know their name, but I know his name. And that's really, that, that's, that's what it, Paul is saying here. That The, the goal is to, if you've got to get yourself off on side stage and let God get in, in the spot where he gets the glory. Notice in these verses that he has the capacity to love and the capacity to do to love more than you can measure, and to do more than you can ask or imagine. That's why we tie our tenacity to his capacity. I want to ask our guys to come back, and they're going to help us close the message today with a song that is meant to just seal in our mind and hearts where we where we cleat our life. And as they're coming, you're putting your Bibles away and preparing to leave. This rope, like a man on a boat would tie off with, the piece of rope that you throw to the dock and you cleat there, you tie off there, do you know what the end of that rope is called? The nautical term for the end of that rope is called the bitter end. And I just want to encourage you today to not wait till the bitter end to tie your life off to truth. Father, would you today strengthen us as a church in our inner being and as individuals? Strengthen us in a way that We find it in you and you get the glory in Jesus' name.